0: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Rockcast, brought to you by Onyx Hump Maps. And we even have a new sponsor that we I've talked about on the previous Tipsy Tuesday, I believe, but official welcome to Black Rifle Coffee as a partner of the Rockcast. We're super excited to have them. <clears throat> I've been using the Black Rifle subscription service for... Oh shoot, I think they've started seven years now. So I think this is my fourth season, the third or the fourth fall that I have had this subscription service. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, been great, big fan of their coffee. And it does it does definitely make a difference having um, more of like a, a high-end coffee as far as like when it comes to jitters and, and things like that. And they're just a fantastic company that's supporting the outdoor industry. And it's great to support them. So uh, go check out BlackRifleCoffee.com. And yeah, Jordan Budd here, your host. And I'm going to be solo on this one. I am have just left Trinidad, Colorado, on my way to New Mexico to film a mule deer hunt. And hopefully that will just take like two, three days and I'll be burning back up to colorado to hunt elk in the fourth season with leah i'm meeting her so she's coming i'm coming from nebraska um i've been in nebraska guiding uh archery hunters and rifle hunters this last uh, these last couple of weeks been an interesting season so far um crops have been in cornfields have been in later than they usually are um farmers are saying that they're having a hard time getting corn dried out. At least that's what the ones around us have said, but some fields are out, and some aren't. So, it's interesting. Um I'm quite sure that it is like a rut fest going on in there because the amount of deer that I've seen actually leave those fields is pretty minimal compared to usual. So, honestly, I'm hoping that there's just a, a lot of deer in those fields that aren't leaving because the amount of deer I've seen is, like, not that great in numbers-wise. Um, I did find one buck that I am convinced died of BHD. He died next to the crick, and I know that that stuff's been going around. I, however, haven't found any more, like, along the river. Um, but still, that doesn't make me, like, super hopeful uh, that there's not a lot around, because... I think that those cornfields have a lot of standing, just nasty water. Um and who knows what's what's dead around around there through the fields that nobody's gonna see until they pick it. So So that's what's going on there. Um kind of a sad deal I know a lot of people are finding dead deer. South Dakota got hit really hard with it. They were expecting like a seventy five percent mortality rate. Um I talked about EHD a little bit on a previous Tipsy Tuesday, but just a a quick little thing for anybody that doesn't listen to those that I think you should listen to this. Um, So you just are a little more educated with the EHD situation. It's a little midge that bites the deer. There is an incubation period, I believe the internet said like five to seven days. Once effects start taking a toll or they start like they start on the deer they're dead within 48 hours so usually when you find these deer they're in like really good body condition because it's not like they've been sick it's not like a cwd situation where it's like chronic like a long time down the road this thing takes effect it's like boom right now it's a very sad deal. It can happen very fast and it's 100% fatal to any deer that gets bit. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic. Um typically we were just talking about it on a um on another podcast a few days ago about like they typically say that it's on low water years because and like in warmer Falls. So we've had a pretty warm fall um, in Nebraska, at least like we've had some killing frosts that I do hope killed it. But like our October was pretty damn warm. Um, It has been, you know, relatively a low water year as far as there has been a drought. So typically on those low water years, you will have more standing water around, deer are gonna congregate more at those water sources, um, and then that midge is gonna be able to just like, bam, 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 bounce from one to the other, and bunch of dead deer you've got. So not, uh, not good, not a good thing. So um, I don't know exactly what you can do to prevent that. I know that baiting deer like, in a, putting out, like, big corn piles and stuff like that, like, you cannot convince me that that's a good idea because you 100% are congregating deer around one area um, that if that little midge gnat thingy that's around there, if it's around, it's going to start biting that, that thing. So, I don't know. Just be a little more cautious. I mean, they're talking about small counties finding, like, one hundred plus deer dead. So it's not a good situation. So anyways, that's all that's all I will have to say about that. Uh for this episode oh, I got sidetracked. Uh I'm going to New Mexico, then I'm going to Colorado. This late season hunt that we're doing it led me to think like, hey, I should do a podcast on like late season gear. And this will not be a podcast that's going to go through like A to Z gear list type thing, like getting deep, deep into things. But I did think that it could be and would be a good idea to go through some of the things that I change, um, some of the things that I specifically take for late season that maybe the earlier season I don't, or wouldn't be as big of a deal if I left it in the early season type of uh, thing so this won't be an A to Z gear list but it will be some things that I change up and just questions that I get a lot about late season. Um, I do get quite a bit mostly about this first topic that we're going to dive into which is boots like insulated boots what would you what would you use on a late-season Nebraska hunt or a late-season elk hunt or something like that? I get a lot of those questions, and they're, they're really hard to answer. Boot selection just as a whole is really, really subjective because my foot is different than yours. So boots that I find work well for me might not work well for you. And then um, when you start throwing in the insulation on top of that, it can really be difficult to, like, recommend boots. But I just will go through some options that I know of, and these options, some options I have tried. I haven't tried all these, but I've been able to try a few. So we will roll through those now. So insulated boots, I will say it is kind of, I don't think a double-edged sword is, like, the right term for it, but something to think about is... That that insulation, if you're doing like a backpack style hunt in the in the cold, I am going to get somebody on to talk about this, that it has done a lot of like really cold backpacking, like hunts, expeditions types things where like heat is not really an option. Um, I'm going to talk to somebody about that. But one thing to think about with insulated boots with the really, really high insulation, on some of these boots is, if you don't have a way to heat that insulation up in the mornings, like it's gonna take a long time for you to warm that insulation up with your foot because it is like, it's already cold type of a deal. Whereas like if you're staying in a road style camp, like we're going to, and you have some heat options, then you can warm those boots up i know that the insulation is going to be you know fairly warm up when i put that boot on so i did go with a higher insulated boot this trip then i probably would have chose for like a late season like back like horse hunt or something like that that we've done in the past that for whatever reason back in the day we did not have a stove with us which now there's so many options for backpacking stoves that um, you should have some kind of a heat source with you some kind of a backpacking stove with you even if you're doing like a minimalist type deal but anyways so some options that I've tried the very first boot that I got I wanted one that could I could pretty much cover most of the seasons with that one boot and that was the Kenetrac Mountain Extreme the 400 grams of insulation that 400 grams I still believe is like a good middle ground of like your foot might be hot as hell in the earlier season but come late season you're going to appreciate it a lot more and then it's it's not going to be as bulky of a boot I mean if you can imagine as that insulation goes up I mean, they're just adding more layers of that, like, thin thinsulate or whatever. They're just adding more layers to to make that 800 grams or that 1,000 grams of insulation. So your boot is probably going to get bigger as well. So you're going to deal with some bulk there as well. If you are planning on, like, hiking a whole bunch, that, that highly insulated boot, you might... Be a little more clumsier on it because it is just a bigger boot than maybe you're used to um, and then you've also got like just the weight of it as well so just like some things to think about but so that's the first boot that i got track the 400 gram installation I'd still um the boot didn't fit me very great um it just, that leather stretched out over time and my foot my foot would just be kind of sloppy in it. Um, and I, I rolled my ankle super bad in a pair of those boots. And it, that is not at all the boot's fault. That's just where we were at. Um, and I just fell. It's just kind of how it happened. I don't think it really mattered what boot I was wearing. Um, but I've had to wear stiffer sold boots after that just to keep like the rolling of my foot more stable, if that makes sense. Um, Kendall Card had a word for that, and I do not remember what it was called. Torsion. I think torsion rigidity is what he called it. Like the, the... I think that's what he called it. It was torsion rigidity. But I've had to wear... That's why a lot of the times I'm wearing these, like, stiffer boots um, if we're on st- in steep terrain... Because I need that for my ankle, otherwise it just starts bothering me after a little bit, especially if we're walking uphill. So that kind of sucks, but um, something to think about. That's, that's a good boot. I also have the 1,000-gram insulation version of those kind of treks, and I still use them. Um, I'll use them a bit like in mountain hunts. Um, I've used them like on the November Wyoming hunts for mule deer. I've used them on wyoming backcountry elk hunt that was in october that was not supposed to be cold but it was super cold and those are good um that's a great pair of boots as well and i would say like they say that they're a thousand grams and i'm sure like science wise they're a thousand grams um as far as like the actual statistics go but they don't feel like a thousand grams um to me anyways just trying on some other boots and such they don't feel like a 1,000, but they also don't feel like a 1,000 in weight or bulk, which is really nice, and that's why I end up wearing them a lot. Um, I have since uh, just gotten rid of my my, I, my The 400-gram insulation ones, I just kind of wore them out, so I quit using them. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's what I'm using there. For this hunt coming up, I'm going to use the Crispy Wild Rock Plus. They are an 800-gram insulated boot. They are definitely bulkier than I'm used to in a boot. Um, And they're, I wouldn't say they're, like, super heavy, but they're definitely more bulky um, than I'm used to. But um, I think for this hunt, the style that we're going to be doing, roadside camp, a hell of a lot of, like, the hunting and glassing is going to be done from next to the pickup or right out of my window, Um, which... I mean, it will be nice, I guess, for us, staying warm. Um, and then we'll be, like, moving and making plays on elk from there. So that's kind of the style that we're looking at doing. So there's that. The Crispy Wild Rock also comes in a 400-gram insulated boot um, that Jim Carr did a, a review on a while back that we can I can link down in the show notes. So you can check that out. Um, Pack boots is also another good option. So... Like a Schnee's pack boot, I think they call them the Hunters, the pack boots. It's like a rubber bottom with a leather upper, so the leather's like sewed onto that rubber. The rubber's, I believe it's one piece, and they're, they're just good for later season style stuff. Robbie really likes them. He's done quite a few reviews on them. Um, my dad has worn them for ever since I've been alive. And so I bet he's been wearing those boots for 40 years or 50 years. And of course, they're not the same pair of boots. Um, but you can, when the the bottoms will eventually wear out, and it seems like the stitching and stuff as well, they'll wear out and start separating away from the bottoms. Um, and you can send those in, and they will redo the bottoms for you, which is nice. Hoffman boots also makes a pack boot that is very similar, but different. Um, so those are good ones. That's pretty much what I can think of. that like I've. Oh, the other boot that I'm taking with me on this next hunt is the Crispy the Brixtel, which is a 200 gram insulated boot. And so that's a lightly insulated, but temperatures currently are slated to be in like mid 40s on the valley floor. So I'm not expecting it to be like super cold. Um, hopefully, we're gonna be higher than that, of course, but um, not expecting it to be as uh, like super, super cold. So I brought the brickstools for a 200 gram insulation uh, like choice, and then I could, I also am bringing those crispy uh, the wild rocks, which are 800 grams for an option. So doing that, um, Crispy also makes a Nevada boot that is a full leather with uh, 200 grams insulation. And I believe with that, that is the last um, of the ideas that I have looked at a lot. There are some like mountaineering type boots that are insulated. Um, I haven't looked into those a lot. I haven't really used, I haven't used any insulated boots that were as synthetic. Um, All the insulated ones I've had have been uh, been leather, which have been nice. So along with the boots um, to pair with those, your socks, one thing I would, I would think about on your your boot selection as far as like just a whole. If you are in the boat where you're like, well, I'm just gonna buy an uninsulated boot, wear a lighter sock in the summer, and then late season, I'm just gonna wear a really thick sock. I personally would advise against that. Um, in my in my experience, when I put a really thick heavyweight sock. Into an uninsul well, into any boot that I purchased to fit on my foot with like a lighter weight sock, they just fit tighter. Seems like I get blisters or just not as comfortable. Um, I just don't, I haven't had very good luck with that. So, I would caution people to go with like a, either do like a mid insulation boot for everything. Or so you don't have to wear like a super, super heavyweight sock with a mid-insulation boot. <clears> That's <throat> kind of what I'm getting at there. So the fit <clears throat> wouldn't change a lot. Um, or have like an uninsulated boot and then have, uh, you know, a mid to like a heavier insulated boot um, that, Maybe you have heavyweight socks on when you try that thing on so you know how it's going to fit type of a deal. Um, <clears throat> so you can get the best fit and avoid blisters or any foot problems. So that's what I would say there. Good socks. Um, notable socks that I've used. The First Light uh, Cold Weather OTC sock. They make a higher one and then a like a lower, like a crew one. Um, <clears throat> I really like the crew one for late season. So that's a really been a really good badass sock for me i also have the smart wool hunt socks i think they're orange and gray and that's a good sock also it is heavier than that that first light sock i talked about and that has become more of like a a sleeping sock for me it is it's just right on the verge of like most of the time every time i put it in my boot i'm just like it's too tight type of a deal. But that is a good option, depending on what you're looking for. Um, Darn Tough makes some really good socks as well. If you haven't looked into those, they're 100% worth the $23. I just bought a couple more pairs today. Um, And there are some other sock companies out there too. I know Kenetrek makes some socks. Um, Yeah, there's sock options out there. But Darn Tough and those First Light, uh, cold weather, OTC socks are super badass. So check those out. Another thing that I will start pairing in with my late season kit that I don't always take me in or take with me in the earlier seasons is a pair of gaiters. So I know a lot of people swear by gaiters, but in the earlier season when it's not wet or it's not snowy or I don't have like a tennis shoe on, then I just don't see the point. So um, I don't really take those with me, but late season, especially if there's going to be snow, I'll take those with me. They do add a little bit of insulation um around your legs, so they are gonna keep like your calf section a little bit warmer. There's no denying that um and then they're just gonna do what a gator does and help keep like snow and moisture out of for me anyways, it's off of my boot laces. It's not so much like going up into the tops of my boots but It's getting my laces completely saturated and then they freeze and then you have cold fingers when you get back and you're just trying to get your boots off and it's a pain in the ass. So, definitely uh, gators for the late season are nice, for sure. Um, You know, there are pants too, like the First Light, the Corrugate, uh, not the Corrugates, sorry, the Catalyst Foundry Pant. They have like a uh, waterproof or highly water resistant material that goes down all the way around the leg on those. And those are just for the late season if you don't want to wear gaiters. So you can look into some of those pant options as well that are made to kind of be a gaiter material to keep the moisture like from soaking through your the bottoms of your pants and getting on your boot laces. Um so that is we'll move on to like some pan options and stuff later, but uh, I pretty much think that, that covers the boots and the in the gaiters. All right. Then the next thing that is often brought up is your insulation layers. Like what, you know, what do you add to your layering kit a lot of people talk about their layering systems for like the early and a little bit of the mid-season but late season it's it's kind of maybe overlooked or just under underplayed a little bit that really the only thing that changes from early season to late season for me is I might add another mid-layer which is typically a like a soft shell jacket Um, and then my outer wear as far as or my insulation pieces um, i might change that up a bit like might change it up completely might um, like add another piece in i think this is where it can get tricky because these insulation pieces they're expensive like you know, the the Chamberlain jacket. I think they call it the Chamberlain hoodie that First Light has. It's a down jacket. It's super puffy. It's badass. Um, that's the one that I'm going to be taking, and we both have, but it's $350 retail. So it is overkill, certainly, for the the early season. So I think, you know, most people just looking to get into – look and do like maybe they mostly do mid-season stuff but they want to get into the late season they don't want to spend another $350 on a jacket that they already have you know like the Uncompadre or something like that so I think that's when so for those insulation pieces here's pretty much what I'm running for my uh, layering system Uh, so I really like a lightweight merino shirt so I'll wear that. I really like a wind type shirt. So First Light has a ridgeline quarter zip that I really like. Um, that seems to be a piece that people like think is not worth it or they don't like it at all or they seem to really like it. I personally really like it. Um, so I wear that. And then I'll put the grid fleece on over the top of that. Um, you know, in the First Light line, that's the Klamath. So I'll put that on and then over the top of that about all times of year i really like the Brooksdown vest i'm a vest person i like that Brooksdown vest and then in the late season i will also add a soft shell to that and in the you know in the first light line that's the catalyst jacket so i'll throw that on over the top of that and that's like a pretty good just that system itself Is pretty good if you're like jumping in and out of the vehicle a lot or that type of a deal or if you're moving, like that's pretty good. If I'm moving a lot but it's still cold, I'll take that that vest off but I'll leave the jacket on. And uh, if you're not moving super fast, like that's a pretty good system or has been for me. Um, But then over the top, in that catalyst jacket or a soft shell is something that I don't take like on every hunt i don't think you know like the september and october hunts it's kind of like meh you can you can definitely um get by without it is if you're doing like a a backpack type hunt um but if you're doing like the later season hunts is when i really like those because it adds like a little bit of wind blocking value it adds some just overall like moisture blocking value um, it's just a little bit better when there's like those windier colder conditions so I'll do that and then over the top of that is when I'll put my my puffy my insulation layer um, whatever that might be and like I was just talking about um, I had to pause the podcast for a second so hopefully um, I'm not confusing too many people but you know, that Chamberlain jacket, that's what I'm going to pack with us on this trip. Um, but I do realize that, you know, a lot of people just getting into this, they're going to have one jacket that's probably going to be like the Un Compadre, which is like a, a synthetic, more of like a, I would call it like an all around type jacket. Um, For your super super cold later season hunts, like it might be a little bit light, but it's pretty good for most of the year. Um, But I do realize that with that system, um, you don't you're not going to want to just go buy another three hundred and fifty dollar puffy jacket. So I'm going to use the Chamberlain. I think if you're going to do a lot of late season hunting, hunting, buying something like the Chamberlain or like Kafaru has the lost park parka, um, or like there's other companies out there that are making heavier duty, um, just more like fill power or whatever of a puffy jacket for the late season type hunts. Um, I think, uh, beyond that installation piece, you know i think that uh you can you can double up on mid insulation or mid layers as well like maybe you're going to put uh another like a catalyst vest on over the catalyst jacket or you're going to put another type of you know a vest on or uh another another merino layer or another shirt or something like that and i think you can layer like underneath of that if you're going to go with like more of a Um, a mid-season or I should say maybe all-season type puffy jacket you can layer underneath of that and that's going to help you um, you know get more out of that out of that piece instead of just saying like oh Jordan says I have to go buy a late season puffy jacket so I'm going to go drop 350 bucks right now because I have to have it it's not true at all like work with what you have and you've probably got a lot of, you know, shirts and and all that kind of stuff in your closet. So if, if like, money is the issue or whatever, like, you don't have to have a big late season puffy jacket like that. Um, I don't know why I thought that that was important to say, but I do think it is. it is an important point to make probably in a lot of this is, like, we randomly... I'm getting a little sidetracked, but we just did a podcast with a guy from Texas talking about, his name is Jake Acker, talking about hunting out of state and whatnot. And he made a good point. It seems like a lot of, of, you know, we love to talk gear and we love our gear. I will be the first one to tell you, spend your money on tags and being able to go versus gear, if that's what you have to choose between. If it's like, damn, can't have that new Hoyt bow this year because, or you know, can't go hunting this year because I just got this new $1,500, $1,800 setup, so you know, I can't afford a tag this year. Like, don't do that, but, um, and I'll be the first one to tell you that, but Jake said, you know, a lot of people are saying, spend your money on tags and experience and not gear, but he says that That gear is going to let you stay out longer to get the more time and experience in the field. So I think that that's just a good point to bring up, you know, multiple times in that, yeah, gear isn't everything, but it is certainly going to help you stay out there longer. You don't need every single piece of everybody's line. And you don't need to bounce around if you can't afford it and whatnot. But if you get like some of the base pieces um, and quality pieces, it's going to take you a long way. So I guess something just to think about there. Um, so with those insulation pieces, yeah, I'm going to take the Chamberlain puffy jacket on this trip. Um, and another thing that I add to my late season, and I wouldn't even say I'd say I'd add it more like mid season. Um, even early season depending on the hunt and where you're going to go and what the weather conditions are going to be like is a puffy jacket, or a puffy pants, sorry. I always take a puffy jacket. But puffy pants. The Un First Light ones are the ones that I'm using. I've been using those since it came out, which I think was in 2017. Might have been in 16, but I think it was 2017. I got a pair of those, like total game changer. I still have the same pair um which is now 2021 and they've had pretty hard use and they are patched with some tenacious tape in a couple of places but um and the the crotch like the zipper separated last year but I'm still rocking them so they're still good to go anyways uh great investment is a pair of puffy pants i think it is important to note that even on a puffy puffy jackets seem to be more robust but puffy pants just aren't as robust and they're not meant to like walk through the woods because they're going to get snagged on trees and stuff like that and they're going to rip and then you're going to be mad and you're going to blame it on the company when in fact like they're just not made to do stuff like that so just think of that um Ahead of time, if you're going to be walking around with them a lot, like they require a certain, uh, certain amount of gentleness. So puffy pants, but I take those for sure. And then another thing that I'm always typically, if it, if there's snow on the ground, I'm going to take my rain pants with me and my rain jacket, my rain gear. Um, I'm going to take those with me because like a lot of times the battle With snow, and if you're going to be glassing a lot, a lot of times that battle is staying dry. You know, we always talk about staying dry, and a lot of people just, uh, they relate that to, you know, just bad weather and rain and keeping that kind of inclement weather off of you. Well, the snow is probably gonna—I mean, it has to have a certain amount of moisture in it—and if you're just sitting there. That could soak through your pants, and then your butt's wet, and then your legs are wet, and then everything is cold, and it just sucks. So, I take a pair, or I take my rain gear with me, and if I know that we're gonna be sitting down, like glassing for a while, um, I'll throw my puffy pants on, and then I'll throw my rain pants over the top of those. That just keeps everything from getting wet, and helps a lot. So. That's one thing that I do. And as far as the rain jacket goes, that is also a wind blocker. And this is something that it always interests me a little bit. Is like, guys will say, you know, what kind of, how does that block the wind? How does that puffy block the wind? How does that uh, soft shell jacket block the wind? And I'm thinking it's a little bit funny because usually people are bringing rain gear with them, or at least the jacket. You have something there that is rainproof. Like, if that is supposed to be waterproof, then it is windproof. <laughs> like, nothing can get through it. If water can't get through it, like, nothing is supposed to get through it. So, there's your wind blocker right there. And especially late season, the wind's blowing a lot. It's cold. That is a really good thing to implement into your, your layering system. It's not only... A just a rain jacket for when it's raining. It's like a wind blocker. It can be a great insulation piece. I believe is John Barklow um, on Avery Adventures podcast was talking about putting your rain jacket underneath of your puffy jacket, which I think is interesting and something that everybody should try. I know Ryan is sold on it, and uh, yeah, and it's just it's interesting. So implement your rain gear into your your layering system don't just let it ride around in the backpack and not get used unless it's raining or snowing or something like that so that's another thing that I I always break out for the season the later seasons anyways Um, and just going through the bottoms on my layering system that is something that that does change like quite rapidly is what base layer pants I'm wearing Um, a lot of the times I am in the earlier season, I don't really like to wear like the long johns. As it gets more into October, I'll I'll bump it up, or I'll put some on. That's usually just the wick, the really lightweight zip-off ones from First Light. They call them their boot-top zip-offs, so they hit the top of my socks pretty much. Um, so at any time, I can pull my pants down, like unzip them and take them off. I don't have to take my boots off or my pants completely off or anything like that. So that's what I'll do. But later season, depending on what we're doing, I will bump that up. And typically, I I just completely skip the midline, which is, they're the midweight line, a 250 weight, which is I believe is called the fuse. And I will just, if it's cold enough, I will just bump right up to like a heavy, the really heavier weight, fleece lined, type uh, base layer bottoms and that's typically with the first light line anyways is going to be the furnace they also make those in a boot top zip off so the same thing with my wicks i can take them on and off really easy so my system stays like relatively the same it's just the weight of that base layer is going to change what i tried to do before i changed that from the lightweight wick to the furnace base layer is i try to change my pants up first before I change the base layer up so a lot of the times like the mid-season type stuff I'm going to be wearing like the corrugate foundry pants which are a super badass pair of pants if you haven't looked at those yet Um, reinforced knees and seat knee pads um, really really generous hip vents Um, the pocket placement is really good and I've just I've really heard nothing but good things come out of these pants, which is really cool because I got to wear them last year before they came out. um, And I thought that they were super awesome, and I couldn't wait to share them with everybody. So I'm glad. So far, pretty much all the reports seem to be pretty damn positive, and and I see a lot of people wearing them this year. With that release, they came out with the Catalyst foundry pants. So they basically just took their Catalyst pant, which is their soft shell, you know more later season type pant and they just made it more robust so same thing reinforced seat knees knee pads and then the hip vent is actually a two-way zipper that runs the full length of the pant not quite the full length but from about your hip all the way down to the bottom of the pant and I didn't really think I was I'm still a little bit torn on it I didn't think I was gonna love that um just being able to unzip them all the way, I thought it was a little bit unnecessary, but it does make putting your boots and all that stuff on and off quite a bit easier because you do just have more clothes on and being able to just completely unzip those pants to lace your boots has been really great. Um, The problems I have seen with it is if you don't wear gaiters, which the bottom of that pant is supposed to be waterproof, so you're not... You don't really, or highly water resistant. So you don't have to wear your gaiters with them um, to keep your like boot laces dry unless your pant legs are coming up a lot. That's supposed to really help with that. So the bottom of your pants aren't just going to get soaked. That material that they have is supposed to be super like resistant to it. And I have found it to be super resistant to it. The part that gets you is the zipper will get really wet and then it'll get frozen and you can't work the zipper or it's really hard to to work the zipper. So that's one thing to uh, to think about But you throw gators on and I haven't had any issues if I have gaiters on. Um, but those pants are super awesome. I wore them last year when they were prototypes in Colorado similar to the same hunt we're about to go on except it was like zero degrees most of the time it got down into the negatives and the furnace with those catalysts were great for that Um, one of the reasons that that I could wear such a heavy mid or a heavy base layer pant with those pants and have it still be okay in the middle of the day when it might get up to like 25 30 we're hiking might be getting hot is I had those those the two-way zippers that I could use as hip vents and they would dump heat which is really nice so those pants for late season are definitely going to be what what i will wear which would be nice so covered i think we covered clothing pretty well covered boots well i know um i'd say the next thing you yeah, have covered rain gear some base layers um gloves that's the next thing that comes up is like keeping your hands warm and that can be just a major pain in the ass Um, what I would say first off is bring multiple pairs of gloves. So if one does get completely soaked, you have another that you can change into and wear that are dry until those other ones can dry out. Um, I really like, um, the fingerless gloves that First Light came out with, and then I will slip those inside of the Catalyst gloves, which are like a a mid-layer glove, or like a midweight weight softshell type glove. And a lot of companies are going to have these same ideas, like these same kind of things. It's just, I personally have been working with First Light for a few years, so that is why when I reference clothing, uh, most of the time or a lot of the times it's First Light. It's First Light clothing. But just apply this to other companies and what they're pitching or whatever company you like apply this information to those companies but anyways so I like to do that and that is really not too bad that's so like when I have to pull that glove off to use my phone or something I still have some coverage over my main the main portion of my hands just my fingers um, that are exposed I really like that and then when I sit down to glass i will slip those into the brooks down mittens they're a down mitten just like it sounds like and they call them their glassing mitts mittens i think and they're great i like them a lot that is like as basic of a system as i will take with me on a trip like that's what i'm going to be taking is is those things um you know the down mitts are like pretty much only good for sitting still and not doing anything Um, you're not going to be able to really work your hands at all you're not going to want to because the material that's on those puffy mittens just like your jacket and your pants is not that durable so you're going to rip them and then you're going to be pissed so just don't do that Um, gosh what else they have some gloves like in again with the other companies are going to have things like this too but like the alpine glove that first light has are really nice um, for that later season type stuff too. Instead of using like the catalyst gloves over the top of those fingerless ones, sometimes I can throw the, if it's really cold or if we're like on the four-wheeler or something like that, I'll put my catalyst gloves in my pack and I'll take the Alpine gloves and I'll use those if I need to kind of use my fingers. Another one that they have is called the Grizzly Mitt where it is like you have your index finger is its own little finger pocket in the in the mitten and then your thumb is its own pocket and then your other three fingers will stay in there the same. To me that thing is like snowmobiling four wheeling glove mitten thing. Great for that. For the hunting purposes, I since they came out with the glassing mitt, Um, I would rather use the glassing down mitts with the Alpine, the fingerless gloves, and then the catalyst gloves and have those with me. So a glove system is definitely something to think about trying to build up in your system instead of just having like a couple pairs of heavyweight gloves and and wearing them with no no liner glove or anything like that. Um, That has really helped me over the last little bit Um, the next thing I would say uh, hand warmers you can always wear you know especially those bigger gloves pop some hand warmers in there and when you put your fingers in you can light them up or uh, warm them up pretty good another thing uh, that has been really nice this year that I got was like a hand muff like a quarterback hand muff thing um, that you see quarterbacks have in the late seasons and or later on in the season with football, um, First Light makes one that it's on their Whitetail line, but it is like I've used some hand muffs before, and usually the inside of them is like a thin fleece, and they just seem to get like wet, and then they're all like clammy in there. But whatever they've got on the inside of this hand muff that I've got now is super super nice. So If you need to use your fingers a lot, or you need to use your hands a lot, um, or more so, you need to be able to use them without gloves on, whenever you need to use them, like in a hurry without gloves on, the hand muff can be a really, really super option. So you check that out. Um, And next thing I think that is like under the accessories type stuff that's really underrated is a neck buff, like a... Uh, neck some people call them like a a neck gaiter or like a a scarf a neckerchief type deal um, you don't really need much around your neck and it's gonna keep you it's gonna you can do a lot of temperature regulation with just a silk scarf around your neck um it just like tuck it into the base of your neck kind of in the inside of your shirt collar it's gonna help uh water or, um wind and air from getting down your shirt it's also going to help it from escaping out your shirt so it's going to keep a lot of that heat in start getting really hot first thing you can do is take that neckerchief off and then you're good to go so the neck buff a lot of that it's it's all the same idea um, one thing that I've never like loved about a neck gator is that you have to like take your hat off and whatever else is on your head you have to take it off to get those off Whereas like a scarf or something like that, you tie on, you can untie without taking stuff off your head. So there's that. Um, another thing, beanies. Like, I think that that's pretty self-explanatory. A beanie is really going to be nice. Especially like even sleeping in late season, they're really nice. So get yourself a beanie. Or if you're like me, you can get yourself a Stormy Cromer hat, which I am a big fan of. Those are really nice your head um what else we got so that pretty much does it for like the clothing and the boots and things like that um now we'll just kind of roll into some other stuff i'm going to be using on the trip or things that are really good to to have with you so when i was in alaska this year i was a little afraid of being you know so far out of reach for that long and not having an alternative to my sleeping pad, air pad, if it popped. And having to sleep on the ground, not really so much with the comfort part, but the um, insulator, insulating value off of the thing, which ended up being really nice even though my air pad did not pop. Um, that pad, so what I did was I took like a Thermarest Z-Seat, or Z-Rest, which is a full-length sleeping pad. I think they're like 50 bucks, um, And it's just like a foam, squishy pad. You don't blow anything up. And I cut that down to three-quarter length. And I did that to help on the bulkiness and a little bit of the weight. They really don't weigh anything anyways. But mostly I did that to help on bulkiness. And then I knew that I really just needed to heat like, from my thighs up or from my butt up. So I didn't really need, like I could prop my backpack underneath my legs if I needed to. But one thing that that really was nice for, using that instead of just like a little ZC glassing pad, was when I was sitting down to glass, I could either like fold it up and have more cushion when I was sitting on it. Or if I unfolded it, I would still have some cushion. But then I could also put my feet on top of it. And that would insulate it from the ground. Because, you know, back to the feet thing and boots. A lot of the time, that's what gets cold on you first is your feet. And gosh, when my toes get cold and my feet get cold, I don't want to be out there anymore. I want to be done. So just getting your feet... Your boots off of the ground and onto that pad, if it just helps you stay warmer for an hour longer, 30 minutes longer, that can really be a big, that can really be a big help in my mind. So that's kind of one thing that I suppose is sort of like a hack that you can do. Um, late season, a big thing for a lot of people is like glassing, especially a late season elk hunt. It's all about the glass, trying to find the bulls. A lot of times, especially if it's gonna be warm, I'm a little worried like they're not gonna be moving as much um, on their feet as much. So you need to be really effective when you're glassing. So a good tripod and tripod head system is important in this. Um, a lot of times these later season trips or when you're you know, working out of a pickup or working out of a side-by-side, you can have like a heavier, beefier tripod so some of your aluminum tripod options can be good i personally just use the outdoorsman's compact for like everything that i do and then i have just the regular pan head on top of that um, if you're running like a big btx um, or a big scope where you need things a little bit more steady and be able to pan smoother things like that um, the Outdoorsman's Fluid Head is a good option, and then you can bump up your tripod as well with that. So honestly, even like some of the Manfrotto tripods that are aluminum, if you're not going to be carrying it that far, those can be really good options to keep you steady because in the late season with that when that wind is kicking up, like if you have a super lightweight tripod system, like that Outdoorsman's is as light as I would want to go for the late season, and it still... If I get like my 80 millimeter scope on there and I'm looking a long distance and there's a lot of wind, like it's gonna be shaking. Um, but to combat that, if you're not gonna be walking very far, you can can get like an aluminum tripod or get by with a heavier, cheaper tripod. Um, just make sure there's a good head on there, and I think you'll I think you'll be happy with that. So, but that outdoorsman's is what I'm gonna be running for this trip, and then optics. So, optics, since we are working out of the vehicle, going to carry another set of binoculars. So, I'll have a, a set of 15 power binoculars along with my probably either 9 powers or 11 power um, Sig Zulu 9s that I'll have on my chest. And then um, I'll have the range that I'm going to be using this is a Sig Kilo 2400. And so, I'll have that. Um, with all my my scope data into it, um, I didn't write this down in the notes, but since we're talking about it, I'm gonna be shooting the the Sig Cross in a 308 for this trip, so that should be good. Um, yeah, so optics, I'll have the Sig Oscar 8, which is their 80 millimeter spotting scope. I think that time of year, like if you can get by with the bigger, heavier optics, if you have the choice, like do it that's the way to go so I'll have 15 power binoculars with me as well for just anticipating one hell of a lot of glass and and this late season two I I typically do this all seasons I take a stove with me I take like a little you know like a not a jet boil but take a little backpacking stove with me even if I'm not backpacking because um, middle of the day I could like get warm some water up Throw like the little Black Rifle instant coffee packs in it. Have some coffee on the mountain. Take some chicken like ramen packs or whatever flavor. But ramen, throw it in there. Um, With that, you can get like the, I get the chicken packets. But you can get the tuna packets. Throw tuna in or chicken in with your ramen. And you've got like a midday lunch that can keep you, it can really boost morale also because a warm liquid, warm food in the middle of the day um, when it's super cold is really nice. So take a stove, take some tea with you, take some coffee with you, like live live comfortably up there. It's gonna help you stay out longer if you can be comfortable and have some have some extra things to take with you. Um, also, so for st- Gosh, I don't know if I should go through this or not. I was going to say stove options. What I'm going to have up there is an, I'm going to have an MSR reactor. And then I think I also have my little super lightweight early season kit, which is the Soto Windmaster with uh, just like an MSR canister underneath of it and an, uh, a GSI minimalist cup. And then to go just one further on this, I like to bring like a nice Yeti cup with me that's full of coffee. Because even early season, if you have just like a little lightweight mug or coffee cup or something like that, like a plastic cup like a lot of people bring, put your coffee in it and it doesn't stay very cold or uh, shoot, very warm very long. And that sucks. So I got those little like 10 ounce, I think they're 10 ounce, the Yeti coffee mug with a handle on it and uh, those things are super nice. I got our logo etched into them, and they're um, they're nice. So you can take one of those with you. Um, that's pretty much what I use on the backcountry trips. Even like deep backcountry trips, I'll take one of those with me. Worth the weight if you're a coffee drinker. All right, next thing, tarp. I will bring. I've started bringing a tarp with us a lot anyways just in the earlier season but it's something that 100 percent always goes with me late season and what i've got is just a little kafaru sheep tarp it's a 10 by 10 or a 9 by 9 i don't remember it's just a flat tarp has like a few different tie-out points you can pitch it a few different ways i typically tend to pitch it in the later season like a lean-to So we can get against it mostly to block wind is what we're doing Um, but it can definitely help you stay on the mountain longer if you can block that wind Um, we were in a situation back there was just one specific situation i can remember being especially bad that we pitched it back in like 2017 i think we were on a ridge um, it was super super windy we were glassing, had some weather roll in. We had already pitched it by that time. But we got to sit through a lot of that weather. I bet it kept us on the hill, gosh, at least a couple hours longer. And then as it started to to get dark, then it, it started getting a lot colder. But we were able to stay on the ridge all day. Um, and we wouldn't have been able to. Otherwise, we would have had to get down in the bottom and not be able to glass as well. So. And that little thing is like 11 ounces or 10 ounces, and it's it's really nice to take with you. And I think it's like 100 bucks, um, So that's a really nice tarp. And the next thing I'm always going to make sure I have in the later season is some kind of a fire starter, like a good fire starter. Um, trioxane tablets are a good source for that, um, but one that I think is more applicable to like all seasons, and that one is too, don't get me wrong, but... Pyro Putty. It's really popular for good reasons because it works extremely well. So um, Pyro Putty, they do make some different blends, like a summer blend and a winter blend and all that stuff. I would just get the winter blend for all of the seasons. Um, this seems to be the good kind of cover do all. But Pyro Putty, I'm always taking that with me and thinking about, you know, starting a fire. So always have the Pyro Putty, but then I also I have some long burn matches with the striker plate that they come with i put those matches and that striker plate inside of one of those orange water can uh waterproof match containers screw that in there always have that with me um gosh what else do i have with me i usually do have like i know it's not technically a flint and steel but one of those like striker things i'll have one of those with me um I've actually started fire with those before, so good thing to have just a few different ways to do do it. And then I have a little, Pyro Putty actually makes a lighter that is like, I don't know what they call it, it's like a micro arc, it doesn't actually throw a flame, It, it like arcs across, you can recharge it, it's super interesting. I don't have one of those yet, um, but I've heard good things. I have like a butane lighter that when you click the little button to light it, it almost throws like a mini torch type thing. So that's what, that's what I carry with me. But make sure you have means of starting a fire because uh, it could save your ass and then it could just make you stay out there longer if you have a mini fire while you're glassing. Um, something for back at camp is something that Robbie introduced me to a couple years ago, or actually it was last year. It is a propane boot dryer. It's from Pete's. A lot of the boot dryers you've seen, they just plug into the wall, your boots flip over upside down on them. Um, it looks exactly the same except a little, uh, green propane bottle screws onto it and throws like a little a tiny little flame just circulates the air, um, the warm air, and it will dry your bloop, your boots out, and you don't have to have electricity for it, or you don't have to have, like, your generator running for it type of a deal. So that is uh, that could be a, a really big game changer. And then one thing I just want to talk about, like, Shelter options that I use or currently have narrowed down to. Um, For late season, if we're backpacking or trying to... I don't even want to say being as minimalist as we can. Because now we have the trailer and that is just a game changer. Um, But if you want to be... If you don't have a trailer, be more minimalist. uh, Doing like a sawtooth, the Kafaro sawtooth is what I have, or one of their teepees, or Seek Outside has teepees, or other um, shelter options as well. But one of those floorless options that you can run a stove in is really nice. So I have the Kafaro sawtooth with an 18-inch cylinder stove. I've used that a lot in the backcountry on backpacking trips. I wouldn't say into November, but uh, through October I've used it, and it's been it's worked really well. Um, another option is like wall tents I've done a review on both these wall tents but I have the 12 by 14 from Davis tent and I have their stove also which is like so cool I wish we used it more I would I just wish that this year we just didn't have really any situations where we were gonna use need to use a, a big wall tent Um, So we just haven't used it this year, but I really, really enjoy um, using that thing. So that's what I use if there's going to be like two of us and we want to spread all of our gear out and have cots and all that stuff. um, We'll take that 12 by 14. Otherwise, a good option for a solo person or two people that don't mind being close to each other, uh, a good option would be like the go tent you can put a stove in the go tent. I have not done that yet, but uh, that is certainly something that, that is available and you can do, and that's from Dave's tent as well. It's called the go tent. Um, for one person, it's super awesome, fastest setup. You can put a stove in it. It's great. Um, and then of course, we have the trailer option, which I'm, I won't even go into. But uh, that's what we're going to use on this trip. We thought about bringing a wall tent so we could pitch that thing up and have the stove in it just as a place to, like, get 85 degrees and rocking in the evenings. But um, ended up we're just going to try to be as minimalist on this thing as we can since the season's only four days. So there's that. Um, Another thing, I know I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but um, I do – I just I bounced around a little bit anyways, I just kind of wrote this stuff down as it came in my head. Um, one thing that I got and a lot of you are gonna roll my eyes as soon as you as soon as you hear me say this I got a, a yeti silo which is basically like a slender molded cooler of theirs but it has a little spigot on the bottom of it. So we wore, we put water in that. It just like fill water up with a hose. And we set it on a picnic table and we drain or we like fill our water bottles up with it and stuff like that. And one thing that I've really noticed on that, and I've also noticed this before with just coolers in general, is like coolers are really touted for keeping things cold. But another thing that, that coolers do if it's getting really cold at night but not, you know, super frigid during the day um but cold at night and you're having trouble with things freezing is those coolers are going to keep things from like being frozen so fast um you know it's also going to insulate the cold air from the outside going into it so obviously it's still going to be cold in the inside and like preserving your stuff but it might keep your water bottles from completely freezing solid type of a deal. Keep your lunch meat from freezing solid, like all that. So that's something to think about. And then along with the coolers, while we're talking about it, sizing of coolers, um, I've got a Yeti 65 and a Yeti 110, and I have put uh, entire deboned elk in the 110 before, but being able to spread it out between the 110 and the 65 is nice. Same thing. Oh, standby. All right, I'm back. So, on with, uh, I think we just wrapped up cooler sizing, I'm hoping. Um, Heater options. I wanted to talk about heater options just briefly. Um, You know, obviously, there's what I just talked about. There's like wall tent stoves, there's the little backpacking stoves. One stove option that I know everybody. And their mother knows about is like mr buddy heater and the buddy heater options which are essentially what they call a a ventless propane heater and the ventless essentially it just it doesn't let i think they call it like a cat they have like a it's a converter inside like a catalytic converter or something like that inside of those buddy heaters that is supposed to like eliminate that co2 um but it does happen a lot and i think it is really a lot like those ventless propane heaters kill people from co2 poisoning and that's not good Um, so my advice if you're going to use any kind of like a propane heater that doesn't have a vent which is any of them that screw onto the propane bottle they're ventless anything that doesn't have like a vent going outside to it is a ventless propane heater and it can leak carbon monoxide um, and it can kill you happens all the time i hear of so many um so many stories and it's tragic so if you're gonna use one of those things, use it in the morning, in the evening, and just when you're chilling, hanging, you know, hanging out. But turn that thing off when you go to sleep or when you go to bed. Like, don't risk it. Don't take the chance. This is not a good situation. Um, so I just wanted to say that about the the heater options. Um, you know, I mean, another heater option too is if you have a generator. You can run like an electric little heater, like a milk, uh, milk, house heater. That's what we help or we run in our trailer to help heat the floor and to just kind of get it to temperature. And then we have a vented propane furnace that um, that helps like maintain type of a deal. So we've got that. Um, moving on, like getting pretty close to wrapping this thing up. Heater options. So. The heater, op- or, uh, heater options, jeez, I just talked about that. Um, vehicle things. So some vehicle things that you should keep in your vehicle that seem to, like, come to people's minds more in the late season when there's snow, but can also be very applicable when there is not snow. Um, a toe strap. Make sure you got a toe strap. Tire chains. Especially not even in late season, but if it's going to be like muddy where you're going, a lot of these like western states the mud is just nasty, so tire chains can be an absolute lifesaver. Look at some tire chains. Know how to put them on. Have them, don't have them just in a jumbled mess kind of think about how cold and miserable you could be out there trying to put them on when you're stuck or after like when you're about to get stuck. Um, putting those things on. So make them as easy as possible, like as organized as you can. Snow shovel. Snow shovel can be huge, not just a regular shovel, like a wide snow, sure enough, snow shovel that can get you bailed out. Um, make sure you have a good tire wrench. We learned about this. I bought new rims. And it they basically just took a, uh, like a, a ratchet, like a... Uh, God dang, what am I trying to say? Just a, a socket set. So it basically would have taken just a, a deep well socket, but I didn't have a deep well socket. Um, I just had my tire wrench. Well, the lugs and the hub cap are so close together, a regular four-way wouldn't go in there, and the the tire iron that came with my pickup wouldn't fit in there either, but a regular socket wood so leah went and got something that they call a monkey wrench and it's basically just like a giant cheater bar <laughs> with a socket on the end of it but carry that with me all the time now um jumper cables jumper cables is kind of a given but make sure you have that one step further you can go with that is a like a jumper pack so basically like a battery pack that if you're vehicle does go dead you just put your battery jumper pack on there and it should give you enough of a charge to to get your vehicle started um, since we are taking the trailer and we're gonna have a generator inside the trailer my battery charger for the the deep cycle battery in the trailer is actually just a regular battery charger that runs off of a 110 so I can start the generator I can plug that battery charger in stick it on the vehicle it's a smart charger, so it has a jump mode also. So um, that's what we're going to use there. Um, a tire patch kit is another really good thing to to use or to have with you, just in case it can get you out of a, out of a bind. That's something that you know we've got for the vehicles, but we've also got for the a lot of it we have for the side by side. We have an extra spare. We have a spare tire for the side by side. I have a little 12-volt air pump for the side-by-side as well, which is a nice thing to have. Um, It's kind of all I could think there. Of course, you can get like a winch or something like that, but honestly, I don't have a winch on my vehicle or a side-by-side. Leah is bringing the come-along, which is a good idea. Um, Come-alongs can be nice for all kinds of things. But, yeah, that's pretty much what I got. We've been absolutely pouring over onyx maps marking down spots um you know this late season you don't really know what the. i mean now i have a better idea of what the snow level is going to be which is basically going to be like zilch um as i was driving through colorado it was like 72 degrees which was on the valley floor but still um there's like no snow in the mountains that i could see and uh yeah, it just seems like it's been super warm. So uh yeah, we just have been trying to figure out different spots so like if it snowed just a ton in the high country and we needed some some spots in the low country, found some BLM, marked some some pins. So if we get through the first 3 like solid plans I have, we can consult the maps and be like, "All right, let's go try this X out." Um but yeah, we've been hitting Onyx really hard, and uh, it's been such a valuable tool for us. You need to, you should probably just get on and check it out if you haven't already. Um, if you need a land or a subscription for the state that you're going to go hunt this late season, you can use code Rockcast at checkout. That'll get you 20% off a $30 subscription. And if you just wanna go hard and get all the states, that'll get you 20 bucks off the Elite subscription. And the Elite subscription lets you have access to other things. Um, Hunt and Fool, Top rut um, gives you some access to some companies as well for some more discounts for those companies. So yeah, we've been hitting that pretty hard. And uh, then again, just wanna thank Black Rifle Coffee for partnering with us and um, want to, to help us out and yeah just uh everybody hunt hard this late season have a have a plan stick to it be intentional like work with a purpose and uh yeah hunt hard kick ass send us the pictures we'll talk to you guys on the next one